Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Now We're Talking. This is a podcast about communication skills. This is episode number 25. I'm Rob Danish, a professor of communication studies at Waterloo, the University of Waterloo. And like I said, the last episode, the next few episodes, I'm going to be joined by some of my students who are working on an advanced fourth year seminar in communication practices. And today I'm with Kiana, and she's going to talk with me about active listening. So hi, Kiana. Hi, Rob. Um, so again, my name is Kiana, and I am in my fifth year studying uh, speech communication at the University of Waterloo. And um, today we're going to go over active listening and, and what it means to be a good active listener. Um, so essentially, active listening is a structured form of responding. Um, so what you as a listener are trying to do is confirm to your partner that you understood what they've said. Um, you do this by repeating back to the speaker what you understood, and um, they can either confirm or correct your understanding and then um, explain some more. Um, so often what we think of when we think of active listening, um, we're usually pretty passive. So for example, when someone speaks to you and they say something totally wrong, um, just like factually incorrect, and you think to yourself about what they meant to say, um, sometimes you fixate on what they've said that was incorrect rather than listening to the whole piece that they're trying to say to you. Um, so you may want to fixate on correcting them or let your mind wander as you focus on fixing the mistake. Um, and then you're preparing your own response um, rather than paying attention to the story. And so things like that tend to get in the way of active listening. And so we've got some tools today to explain um, steps on how to improve your active listening and how they'll benefit you as a communicator. Uh, so firstly, you wanna engage in emotional labeling. Uh, this means putting feelings into words. Your partner might not be aware of the emotional content that they're describing and so it's useful to clarify that you're both on the same page about the intended meaning of what your partner is saying. Um, so let's say your partner comes home and expresses, um, they express that they wanted to see a movie on Sunday and they read the book on the movie that the movie's based on and they really wanna see who the characters are and they start talking to you about how much they, uh, the book meant to them and how much they're looking forward to seeing the film, uh, but you're actually going to the movie on Saturday and not Sunday. And so you start to focus on um, the mistake in the days rather than the emotional connection that they have with the book. And so you, want, you really wanna focus on the meaning that they're trying to convey to you and telling you the story about their relationship to the book. So this is a great example. So I, I think what you're describing is um, it can apply to so many different situations. So even if um, your partner was at the grocery store and forgot to buy lemons and they come home and they forgot to buy lemons, um, you might want to point out the fact that they forgot this thing or that they got this date wrong. But there is a emotional content behind why they may have forgotten the lemons. They may appear nervous or upset or angry or in the case of the movie, they may appear um, to kind of long for the movie or be in a kind of dreamy state of really wanting to, to do that thing. So emotional labeling is your ability to describe for the other person what it seems like they're feeling or what feelings they're at least portraying to you. So instead of saying, oh, you forgot the lemons, you'd say, oh, it seems like you're really upset this afternoon. 
you'd ignore the fact, ignore the fact, and focus on the feeling. Um, I do this all the time with my kids. They come out of school, and I say, "How was the day?" And they might say, they might describe some factual thing that happened that day. But while I'm listening, I'm also, I also want to say back something like, "Oh, it seems like you're pretty upset about that," or "It seems like you're really excited about this art project you had to do," or, or whatever the thing is. So we pay attention to feelings instead of facts. It can help us um, be certain, A, that we're understanding our partner, but our partner feels heard in a kind of more substantive way than if we just pay attention to the facts that they're giving us. Exactly, and that allows you to form better, deeper connections with the people that you're communicating with with your partners. Um, and so the next thing that you want to proceed to do is ask probing questions. Uh, so these are like open-ended questions that are used to draw out more information or details. Um, this is a good tool to demonstrate your interest in what your partner has to say um, because these are the kind of questions that dig deeper um, into the meaning of what your partner is trying to convey to you. Um, so for, can you give us an example of a good probing question? Yeah, so um, a good probing question would be how did you feel about that? Um, whatever they're describing to you, you're asking for more detail on their emotions about it, not so much actual details, but more of what your partner feels and how they perceived the situation and now they can explain that to you to form this connection. Two other probing questions that I really like, or at least one is, um, I often ask a person what they got out of that, out of something or, or what they, what, what, what they were drawn to about something. So someone told me about this book the other day. Um, I can't remember the name of the book, but I had never heard of it. And uh, the person said, this is the best book that I've ever read. And instead of saying, oh, interesting, or like, what's the author's name, or what number is it on the New York Times bestseller list, I asked, so what did you, what did you get out of that book? Like, what drew you to it? What makes you so excited about that particular book? Um, so that's one I, I really like. Um, another uh, good probing question that I really like is, um, uh, for I guess I ask often for context or situatedness or history. So, um, you know, can you tell me how you, you first learned about that book or where you first discovered it or what was going on when you first discovered it? And here I'm playing on the book example again, but uh, in any example kind of can work. And you can ask contextual questions so the person can fill in the blanks behind uh, where the, the conclusion that they, they've drawn or the piece of information that they're, they're giving you. So contextual questions are, are what draws someone to something or what someone gets out of a particular thing that they're trying to describe or, or explain also work well as probing questions. Yeah, because again, like active listening is a structured form of responding. So it's not all passive where you're just listening to the information your partner's telling you, but you want to engage in what they've said. Um, and probing questions is a good way to do that. Uh, next, you want to validate uh, what your partner has said by responding in an interested way. Um, similar to the probing questions, you can demonstrate to your partner um, that you're engaged and interested in what they have to say by responding thoughtfully um, and letting your partner know that you appreciate their willingness to share with you. Um, so like for example, my boss at work, uh, he's usually trying to practice active listening skills, but he just really seems to like miss the mark on it. Um, so typically when I'm explaining something to him, he constantly goes, yeah, okay, okay, yeah, mm, mm, yeah. And it just like constantly goes like that. And to him, he probably thinks that he's practicing active listening and to him it might sound like he's engaged, he understands what I'm saying and he's waiting for the next piece of information. Um, but to me, as a speaker, I feel rushed. Like he already knows what I, uh, the next thing I'm gonna say. Uh, he just wants me to hurry up and say it. So even though you're practicing your listening skills, 
you still need to really think about your word choice at the moments that you choose to participate. So what would your boss do? How could your boss improve? Like, what would he, How would he respond to you that would be a good demonstration of validation? Well, for starters, he could limit the amount of times that he interrupts me with um, his engaging words. So he'll actually cut me off to say, yeah, okay, mm -hmm," to push on to the next topic. Um, So interrupting is really kind of counterproductive to demonstrating your active listening. Um, So what he could do to improve um, would be to allow for some silence between what I'm saying um, and not just use one word answers, not just, okay, mm -hmm, yeah, but actually like, okay, so what is the next step then? Like a full phrase or something engaging that will help me to participate and give him the information that he's actually looking for. So validation is also related to emotional labeling. So a more advanced form of validation would be for him to also acknowledge or hear or listen for the kinds of emotional context behind whatever information you're giving him so that he might say something like, oh, it sounds like you're frustrated by this new policy if you're describing some frustration with a policy in a kind of rushed or clipped manner. Instead of saying, okay, he can respond by saying, by, with an emotional label, it sounds like you're frustrated by this particular thing that's going on at work. Um, validation can also be about just describing um, back to the person the factual details or the information that they've stated. So person X was is, is always late to work. Uh, instead of just saying, okay, mm-hmm, I can say, oh, so you're concerned that person X is always late to work. Um, the other person will be certain then that you have heard them, which is part of the purpose of active listening. Uh, so the person saying, uh, reporting this information to you. So those are also kinds of techniques of, of validation. It's a way of making sure that the other person feels that they have been heard. It's um, a way the, for the listener to make sure that the other person feels that they've been heard. Yeah, I think he would be more effective if he used something like paraphrasing to really try and capture what I've said. Um, so I know that he understands how I felt and that we're on the same page about the meaning that I was trying to convey um, with explaining to him whatever the situation might have been. Um, so going forward, um, the comfortable silences, uh, that's a useful practice during arguments or like heated discussions because it allows some time uh, for the speaker and for yourself to gather your thoughts um, and really think about the meaning you're trying to convey. Um, with silences, it's Im- it's an important tool because it gives you that moment, that, that break in between what's happening to, to really allow your partner to feel heard. Um, if you jump right back into the conversation, um, never allowing a moment of silence, it can almost come across as you're not letting your partner fully finish their thought or fully finish what they're trying to express to you. So it's good to also just leave a brief moment, um, especially if it's an argument or heated discussion, I think. It can work also as an indication that you are um, absorbing or contemplating or thinking about what that person has just said to you instead of just anticipating your response or crafting your response in your head. It sort of signals to the other person that you are taking care with their words and trying to figure out um, in a substantive way how you might respond because you've taken them in and and you've contemplated them or you listened to them. Mm -hmm. Um, And then finally, uh, 
I statements. Um, so this is this is a statement that allows you as a listener to express how you feel and why uh, without sounding critical. So that's the kind of thing that you can formulate during those silences is think about what it is that you want to say in response and why, how it makes you feel. Um, and using an I statement specifically um, rather than why questions or advising, patronizing, preaching or interrupting, they're all very counterproductive. So using those silences to formulate an I statement where you put yourself as the subject um, will help form an intimate relationship where people will be willing to share with you and not worry about being criticized or judged for what they're saying. So this is, in communication studies, we often juxtapose I statements with you statements. And the problem when a listener makes a you statement can... Uh, it can quickly become, uh, it can quickly put the other person on the defensive. So we often use you statements to question or to interrogate or to judge another person. Um, and so the, the reason that we, an active listener uses an I statement instead is that it gets them out of that tendency to be accusatorial toward another person um, where you're looking for those factual details with which you can disagree or judge or critique someone. And instead, you kind of respond from your whole person. Um, but it is important to make sure that that I statement kind of incorporates or is a genuine response to something that the other person has said so that they know you're listening. Someone wouldn't just you know, tell you a story and then you say, well, then I just had a bagel this morning. If the bagel has nothing to do with the story, it wouldn't, wouldn't coordinate so well. But So the I statements are, are important to understand in juxtaposition with you statements. Um, so what else is there? Um, what else is there is who cares? Why practice active listening? Right. We're talking about um, communicating with other people. So why is listening such an important part of communication? Um, it's beneficial to be an attentive listener because it avoids misunderstandings in communication. Um, it keeps things clear and concise between you and your partner. Um, kind of leaves everything out on the table. It tends to get people to open up to you more, um, to disclose more information to you. And so you're fostering these intimate relationships when you're an active listener. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to agree with everything your partner's saying, um, but the act of repeating words, reflecting images, paraphrasing, asking questions, um, these are all things that foster mutual understanding um, and they, they have an effect on the person who's speaking even though you're the listener. Um, and so it really demonstrates an authentic interest um, in understanding what your partner has to say and. Um, it really facilitates trusting and intimate relationships. I think most of us fall into the trap or the problem of thinking an awful lot about how we're going to communicate, what, what we're going to say, what we're going to write, who we have to write to, why we have to write to that person. And it tends to be the case that even in the field of communication studies, way, way, way more research is devoted to what we say and um, how what we say impacts another person. But the argument here is that listening is just as impactful or effective a communication technique as speaking or writing or any of the other communication techniques we've talked about. So it seems to me in particular that there are two main consequences or two main likely effects of good active listening. And one of them is what Kian is describing in terms of uh, intimacy or one kind of consequence of active listening is that a person is drawn closer to you. You feel closer to a person who is actively listening to you. Uh, and then the second, which I think you're also pointing to, is what I would call mutual understanding. 
Um, mutual understanding is often the goal of communication. We want to be understood. We want others to understand us. We want to understand others. Um, understanding, though, is not a product necessarily of effective speaking. It's just as much a product of effective listening as it is speaking. So uh, active listening can draw someone closer to us, and it can produce or manufacture mutual understanding in really important ways. And by mutual understanding, I don't mean agreement. I mean just an understanding of another's perspective or point of view or position without necessarily entailing an agreement between two, two people. And um, I know at the end, Rob, you do like a little lesson of the day. Yeah. Um, so, so what's your lesson of the day? My first? lesson of the day. Uh, when your partner has their words reflected back to them, they'll be drawn closer to you and you'll be able to form a more intimate relationship uh, with them because they feel understood. They'll feel like you just get them. You guys just get each other. Um, so what to take away from active listening is really emotional labeling. Um, so putting your feelings into word words, um, asking probing questions, um, showing you're interested in what the person has to say by um, opening up the floor to more information, um, responding in an interested way, you know, avoiding the yas and the uh-huhs, um, really engaging in the conversation, and allow for comfortable silences, um, use I statements when you can, and uh, reflect images back to your partner. This will really clarify what you've understood from what they've said, and it'll improve your connection with them. Great, thanks so much, Kiana. This is one of the simpler, although probably most underused communication techniques, I think. I, I don't think it's hard for any of us to go out and do those things, but for some reason we tend to focus too much on, on speaking or what we're gonna say rather than doing those things. So I think that it's an easy way to, to make a dramatic improvement in your interpersonal communication skills in particular. So thanks everyone for listening, and we'll be back next week with uh, some more communication practices. Thanks. Bye.